what it do, what it do. Welcome to Shut Up and Listen, episode four, a music industry podcast where we will discuss all aspects of the music, all aspects of the music business, and have a different guest on to share their insight, their journey, and hopefully leave you with a deeper understanding and appreciation for what it takes to make it in this industry. Today, my guest is someone that actually got me booked for my first club show ever. <laughs> Uh, Anna Marie, aka AMC. She is the junior manager at Substruct and also handles the promotions and advancing for DDP events in Texas. She's worked on some pretty massive events you might have heard of, such as Electric Zoo, Ubby Dubby, Friendship, Spring Awakening, Freaky Deaky, and Sunset Music Fest, just to name a few. <laughs> Anna Marie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So to start off, I think you've had a really, really cool journey through the music business and industry. So uh, let's just start with your origin story. How'd you get into the business? Yeah, you know, I always say that um, the music business found me, but really it was something that I was meant to do. And and I look back at it, I realized I knew that all along and followed the right steps to make those dreams and reach those dreams and reach those accomplishments. Um, I started out actually because my brother was a promoter for Full Access here in Dallas. Uh, this was back when I was in still I was still in high school. I was still in my emo punk rock phase, and that's when he introduced Skrillex to me. Wow! Yeah. I didn't know your brother was a promoter. That's awesome. Yeah, he worked for Jeremy Word. Um, okay. Did yeah, he was he was the one who got got me into it. Was the one who showed me the music. I'd started um, going with him to passing out flyers and this was before I was old enough to get into the clubs I was hanging out with my brother we were doing this we were promoting this really cool music that one day I was so close to you know two more years I'd be able to go to those events and show you're just listening on your on your iPod nano or whatever and (laughs) exactly yeah nice so Skrillex yes I remember that was the first uh well, I mean, I've I had heard electronic songs before, but that was the first one that got me into the music to really starting to look up artists. And I also knew Skrillex from first to last. And it was a big deal when he broke off to start this new thing called dubstep. But yeah, so we started, I would go and flyer with him. He took me to my first show uh, ever at the at Southside Ballroom. And I remember being there walking in and just thinking this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Not necessarily party to sit there and rave, but to be a part of that. And uh, so whenever he had opportunities or would be passing out flyers, I always tagged along. And then I started selling tickets through him to my friends. So we, we would pass out. I'd always go with him to pass out flyers. And any way I could get involved, uh, I would – I'd do it and I'd be there. And it, I really looked up to him. I looked up to what he was doing. I thought it was really cool. And I just followed his footsteps with that. When I was finally old enough to go to the events, I was selling tickets and I was on the promotion team. I ended up, you know, and you know, it's funny. It's like at this time it, in my high school, not a lot of people listened to electronic music. There were small groups within all the high schools but it wasn't as well known as well as known a, so it, yeah it was kids would make fun of me you know for listening to that music it'd be like oh you're the like 
you're the druggie. That's what people go there and do drugs. And it had just a bad, like, it when people heard electronic music or raves, it had a bad taste in, in their mouth. And, exp- and this was the time, you know, when I was, was, this was the time when Insomniac was being shut down. When that, okay. during that time in the scene when the city was really cracking Especially down. in Texas. Yeah. It, exactly. So your first show at Southside Ballroom, what year was this? How old were you when you first got to your first show? This was 2011. Wow, okay. And I believe I, I was... 16 I was 17 years old 16 or 17 okay so 16 or 17 and then you you started doing promotions or promotional work directly with ticket sales right okay so I'd sell hard copies make Facebook posts I would go out and flyer if anyone ever asked for help with the show I'd be there I'd be the one to raise my hand I would go down you know rows and rows of cars to go put flyers on there and I, I had fun doing it you know it was that was such an exciting thing to me because I was sharing this music that I loved you know and it changed my life so I was like cool like I'm doing something that could change other people's life too by spreading awareness of all this fucking cool shit that's coming that's so awesome you know and it was I just I fell in love with it from the get-go um I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the passion that I had for the music and always wanting to be involved that kind of got me noticed. My passion for the music and for just the love I had for these events is what kind of caught my first mentor's eye. So I was passing out flyers, doing the whole street team thing, posting on social media, inviting all my friends out to shows, and then I started doing little roles like selling merch at the events or doing will call, working box office. And I did a few of those. And from there, I was asked to do artist hospitality last minute for um, this like smaller festival. And it was my first time working backstage, first time, you know, being that close to the artist. And everything went great. Everyone was happy, but I decided to have a couple drinks okay, and yep. well, maybe I've uh, been there. smoke, uh, you know, s- smoke something. Yeah, and have a, have a little fun on the job. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is dope. They asked me. I, it must be okay. Right, and I was like, everyone's having a great time. This is a party. This is cool. Like, I love my <laughs> life. Can't believe I'm getting paid for this. And so I was sat down, and I was told that if I liked doing this job, I would never act like that again mm-hmm. and you know the the funny thing was as I wasn't acting crazy I wasn't acting out but I didn't have that sense of professionalism and also I was underage too so okay, yeah so sh- double-edged you know, sword come on yeah uh, you're, you're putting the entire company at at risk exactly or, or, or venue or whatever it is yeah that's all right, that's valid you know and I, I was and after that it was that time and when I was sat down and I realized I was like, oh, this is could actually be something very beneficial to my future. This isn't just a party or a passion. Like, this is work. This is a job. This And that was the first real eye-opener of, whoa, like, I'm on to something. I need to get my shit together and I can either capitalize it or let, you know, this fleeting moment passed. Yeah, burn burnout. Yeah, and 
from there, I really started taking it seriously. And I was just very lucky to be at 17 to first off have people that cared about me enough to sit down and correct me instead of, you know, just write me off and never hire me again. But to also learn that even though like this is entertainment, it's, you know, it's fun. It's a party. You have to be professional that this is actual work. Uh, there is blood, sweat, and tears that goes behind this entire production that needs to get done so the people who are buying those tickets can enjoy themselves. And the next, so the next gig after that was I worked Tomorrow World, and I was uh, seventeen wow. and my first time going. What year was? Wait, what? I didn't, I didn't know this. Tomorrow yeah. World. Which year? Yeah, it, I did all three. What? Yeah. I was I was at the first two. Yeah, I did all three. I was doing artists at check in there. Wow. Yeah. What was it like being a part of? Because the first Tomorrow World, for those that don't know, this is a a big big festival that had its huge reputation in Europe. That decided to take a chance and do a sister or brother festival in America in Atlanta in Chattahoochee Hills, and the the I went to the first year and second year, and it was absolutely amazing. So what was it like and what did you learn, you know, being a part of it that first year, like a, a first year doing a, a festival, like, um, you know, what was that like? Well, I mean, for for me, for one, it was insane because I'd never been a part of that big of a production. It Yeah. It's, and how many how many how many people do you think? I think it was 60,000. Oh, I don't or, know. I mean, yeah. now I I worked it. I was doing artist check-in. Like I was okay. not it, you know, it was I was just a little speck of part on that whole thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know how many people were, were there, but it was a oh, ton of artists. That's for sure. Oh, it like a hundred, 200 plus artists over, over three, four days. Oh, it, it was crazy. And it, I remember walking in and just my jaw, just being on the floor, just seeing everything that went on behind scenes how many people are involved you know to put on a party for two days or three days however I think it was three days yeah how, it, it, and it was crazy and it was it was also insane to work with you know people from across the globe like yeah. that was really cool yeah. and that being one of my first experiences really helped I guess, sh shape my mindset of the things that I can do, the things that are out there, you know, because at the time, you know, I was just doing club shows. I was like, oh, this is it. This is like, this is the shit. Like, this is big money right here. You know, this is cool. <laughs> and then you go to a festival like that. And all of a sudden, like, like I so had small, no you know? idea. Yeah, exactly. I did. Yeah. Exactly. It's like my eyes are properly open now. And it, it was, it was really cool. It was, um, but I'll, yeah, I'll never forget just sitting at the table. I was skipping class to come work tomorrow world. It worked out for you now. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It, it, it did. It did. Um, I just remember sitting there with uh, my brother was working it with me as well. I just remember sitting there. I was looking ac looking across, and Dylan Francis and Skrillex and Diplo were all having a conversation and. It it just blew my mind. I'm just like, okay, this is 
this is tight. I think I, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to keep working hard to do this. That's so bad. I had no idea that that Tomorrow World was one of your first yeah kind of stripes. Did you like it though? Like, did you Dude, enjoy it? So the first year, I was just mind blown because I'd never done EDC or anything like that right. before. And yeah, the first the first two years of Tomorrow World blew my mind because it was the first festival of that scale I'd been to. Mm-hmm. But we did like we did the easy camping where you showed up and you had the right, camp the, set up. The, that were already and, set up. And mm-hmm. what was cool was that to my left there was like a couple from Belgium. To the right yeah. was a couple from like Argentina and everyone was so nice. And I was I was relatively new. This is like twenty thirteen, the first year and I got into the rave scene uh, or dance music scene, whatever you want to call it, at, and in 2012. Yeah. Like, I'd followed some people here and there, and I'd heard some names. Right. But my first festival was Lights All Night 2012. Okay, And the yeah. only reason I went was because my friends were like, yo, you should come check this out. The only artist in the whole lineup I knew was A-Track, because I was a Kanye West fan. No and, way. <laughs> and A-Track produced his couple of couple of tracks on these albums. Yeah. And so I went there, and I, I had my mind blown by, like, Avicii, Tiesto, Calvin Harris. Right. And they are like, all right, we're going to this festival tomorrow, world. Like, you should come. And it was just, I loved the first year, and the second year was even better. Uh, because they had like the full Thursday show in the campgrounds. Correct, right. Um, they they they'd taken care of some of the dust issues from the first year, mm-hmm. um, and it was just it was just cool again, just the international. I didn't go to the third year, but um, but yeah, I was that was what set the bar for yeah. me of like this is the scale it could be, and you could, and this is before I even like was seriously trying to even like produce or DJ, but um, it set the bar of like this is what it could be, and the international community was a huge part of it because everyone was so nice. Oh man, I mean, there's oh, there's nothing like Tomorrowland and tomorrow. And even though Tomorrow World was a smaller version of it, I'll never forget. Oh, I, I got goosebumps just now just yeah. thinking of it. When so you remember the main stage was kind of like in a basin, right? It was like it was super. It was like right. a, like a thirty degree mm-hmm. angle going down and down and down over like probably two football fields. It, yeah, exactly. So there's if you're coming down, you have to kind of like walk up to the main stage and then it just goes down drops yeah and then i and it created this cool amphitheater too like it was like awesome acoustics it was amazing like i remember walking up the walking up and i could see the stage but i couldn't yet see the crowd of people oh yeah and and then i kept walking and then all of a sudden my next thing that i saw was flags See if and this is before I could see the people, but flags from everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and it was and it wasn't just like flags that you see at festivals and totems. No, but it was all these different nationalities, all these different. It, oh, I just have goosebumps again. Yeah. and <laughs> and then you see the people after that, and it's just the most like it, it takes it took my breath away. Like it was just like uh, I couldn't breathe. Like I was just like cry like like don't cry right now and I'm like tears are coming out of my eyes like I can't breathe it's just it's so beautiful like and you just you just feel the energy that electricity going through it yeah it really is you just can't it's a feeling that can't be replaced and it's such a cool feeling like I miss Chattahoochee Hills I I I, it was a magical place it it really was it is it is a magical place so you had your experience at running this massive international festival, still not even 21, and then you came back from that and you were still in school. And then, So now you come back. So take me through that experience. Now you have even more perspective. Yeah, so I did it all three years and then I was still doing the club shows. And then when I started working for music full-time, I was 20 years old was when I got the offer. And I was the promotion company that I was currently working for had gotten bought out 
by another promotion company who was also opening up a venue. My mentor and boss at the time parted ways with the company to go pursue his other dream, which he's fucking killing at it now. Like, And I kind of, I, I say step into that role, but those were way too big shoes for me to fill. So I, that was the first time that I was working in music full time. And that's when I made the decision to drop out of school. And I was, I was going to finish because I, I only have 12 hours until I finish, but I'm not, not what, okay. My dad listens to this. I will go back. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> You could do 12 hours. If, yeah. if, if she, if you ever get time, girl, this girl is busy. She's making money. Yeah, time is money, you yeah. know, so, uh, but yeah, so I, I started working that job, and I started doing it full time, and it was definitely a new experience, and it was, it was hard at first, it was really hard, I mean, was this around the time we met? I believe it was, because yeah, uh, you, you were busting, yeah. you were busting your ass, like, I saw it at, at the shows that I, I got to be a part of, or, or at least come see it, and you were you were kicking ass on everything. Like you were yeah. making, you had to, you had to hand everything: box office, liaison, production, everything. Well, you, you made yeah. me step up my email game. <laughs> you know that was actually a really hard part for me was learning email etiquette. That that was definitely a, a news flash for me. I mean, I was still in college. Like I used my email to tell my give my professors an excuse of why I wasn't coming to class. You know, never actually having full conversations and you know with. When I came into this position, it was the person who was leaving left a very big footprint, one that will never be, you know, replaced, one that will stick on the, you know, the Dallas EDM community forever. And so when I came into not necessarily that role, but I was, I was a part of that next wave and it was it was hard because people expected someone to replace like right where, right where the reins were right without without any like learning curve, pick up where you left off, you know, that's not, that's not realistic. Come on people. Exactly. And immediate, you know, when you have this role to fill and immediate, and I step up immediately, it was just like, Oh, like I got, I'll figure it out. Oh, well, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, honestly. <laughs> I mean, who would let a 20-year-old do that? But thank you for letting me in. But, you know, like a lot of people doubted me. And, you know, I I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but I knew that I could do it. I knew that I'd figure it out. It's not even always, like, about, like, technicals, like, skill. It's about do you have the people relationships? Do you have the tenacity? Are you willing to learn? You yes. know, are you willing to put yourself out there? to you know take on a challenge and as long as you work with integrity and you're open to criticism like anything is possible no one ever really knows what they're doing until they do it and then once they start doing that thing they move on to the next thing because you're not comfortable when you're comfortable you have to be uncomfortable to continue to work for new things so you you're doing you you stepped into this role right you you had some I stepped into this role and it, it was definitely hard at first, you know, especially I had moved to Dallas. I was living on my own. So, you know, not only was I starting a brand new job, but it was my first big girl job. 
I was living on my own for the first time. I finally moved out of the city that like I grew up in. Um, didn't really, I didn't have any friends. I had friends, but I didn't have any friends that I grew up with that lived there. It was completely me like starting over living by myself. And it was definitely difficult. And I know a lot of people were expecting me to fail. And I, I stayed there and I, continued to work and I think I lasted longer than most people even expected me to you know just the way that I don't know how to explain it but I could tell the way that people talk to me or the way that people wouldn't talk to me mm. you know they didn't There's a lot the- of them didn't realize that I had been working shows before most of them didn't even know that I'd done festivals you know that I had actually been involved that I'd been doing this for a long time I'm not ever that person to go to be like, oh, well, I do this, this, and this, you know, in your <laughs> face. Like, it's, you know, I mean, all the stuff that I do do for this, this, and this, I'm still just a little par- part of the puzzle piece that brings everything together. Just a, just a little, like, little spot. Like, it's funny, you know, it's sometimes, like, or now when people, like, tell me they, like, look up to me, I'm like, me, like, I'm still an assistant. Like, just so you guys know, like, I still, like, schedule calls and do, like, remedial work. Like, it's not – I'm not ne- – you know, it's – I don't know why I'm talking down on myself now. Okay. No, hyper – hey, people listening are going to know, like, yo, AMC, yeah. Anna Marie is, is, is a boss-ass lady. I appreciate that. But I'm yeah. also, though, like, I'm still very – I'm st- not very new, but I'm still early in my career. So – don't take everything I say word for word because okay. I'm still learning as well. We're all learning. Um, it's a disclaimer. Exactly, yeah. Well, I did what anybody said and now I got fired. Like, what <laughs> I, I drank it the first gig I got and yeah, exactly. <laughs> they didn't sit me down. Yeah, they didn't sit me they, I didn't get the apology. They're done. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I worked at that venue for a while and then I got laid off. Mm. Okay, the real test started. Okay, so this. So you, how old were you? So you'd been with this company uh, before you even took over the role. Now you'd been with this company two years, year and a half. It, it was a little over a year and a, a half. Over a year and a half. Okay. I was twenty-two when I got laid off, and it was, I mean, it completely turned my world upside down. I mean, when you get, I. I don't, of course, you know, your mind's going to keep on going back for, like, what's the real reason? You know, I was told, oh, they're restructuring the company. But it, when something like that happens, like, not only are you scared for, like, your financial stability, but, like, your mental stability goes down, too, because it kills your self-worth. You're like, what did I do wrong? What did, so all those people that were talking shit that were telling me that, oh, I got this handed to me on a silver platter. Oh, that I was, I only got it because I was a young girl and because I was friends with, I was friends with so-and-so and and friends with these people. It made all of their views and opinions about me and what they thought of me, it made me feel like that was true. Mm. And that was one of like the hardest like parts or one of the hardest times of my life. I mean, I had bought a car. I was living on my own. You know, I was fully self-paying for 
everything. And now I wasn't in school. I dropped out. I was in debt because now I was having to pay back this money. Like my dad was right. I shouldn't have dropped out. You know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to pay rent now? What's the next step? Like I can't, like I didn't want to go back to an office job. I didn't want to do anything else. Like this is embarrassing. Everyone's going to know I failed. Like what do I, you know, I can't even show my face now. Like this was my life. This is, I went there every weekend. This is my, my friends, like everything I knew. Like I even, I remember like this company had gotten acquired. So a lot of these people on the street team I'd been working with since I was 16. Like that was, you know, it was everything to me. And so it was, it was really, really hard. And, and I had at that time I had two choices. I could either retreat, start over somewhere new, start over and, you know, go back to school, go back to, you know, just doing PR work at some social media firm somewhere, or I could pick myself up and prove to myself because I, who, I didn't even care what other people thought about me at this time, but now I thought I was a loser. I need to prove to myself that I wasn't a loser. So I was having that conversation in my head, like you felt, but I knew that, no, I, I can do this. I can fucking do this. So I was proving to myself that, hey, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to, and that's when I started freelancing. So I started working for festivals, picking up any odd, like, box office gig, any, you know, uh, park, even park, it even worked parking lots at festivals to do, you know, that's what, uh, any type of show, I would go work. Um, whether it, it didn't matter what it was, whether it was doing artist relations or it was doing hospitality. And it was funny cause I found out there were some jobs that I didn't even know, like you needed a job for like checking in, like for meet and greets and just walking people back and forth. Or, um, at one festival I did, my job was to literally stand there with a red flag and a green flag cause it was a one way street and I let the <laughs> golf carts go by. And, you know, I was making anywhere between 8 you know, to $12 an hour working these events, like driving down, sleeping in my car on my friend's, friend's floor somewhere just so I could be involved in the scene. And, you know, it was definitely hard financially going from a 20-year-old making a salary to having to the first time in my life asked my parents to help me with rent you know, and asking my parents to help me and also trying to explain to them, like, why I need to do this instead of going back to school and finishing that degree. And then I continued doing it, and I made a lot of connections. Mm. I met a lot of people, and that's when I got hired back on um, by Disco Donnie, uh, Disco Donnie Presents and started doing the shows that I was once doing when I first started at, at Lizard Lounge. So, because we were doing shows at Lizard Lounge, that company got acquired. I moved over, got laid off, and then I came back to my home. Your home. And, and for those that don't know, Lizard Lounge is a historic club in Dallas that's been around for, as Lizard Lounge, it's been around for like 30 years, but 
even before then it's like a it's a venue that's been around since the 60s or 70s yeah um i want to i want to pick back up there but real quick when you were on that kind of i'm going to prove to myself and i'm going to get these uh, i'm just going to do anything and, and everything that falls in my lab were you doing that by by looking on craigslist or, or going through 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 connections that knew where you were that that you know were there to support how did you how did you land those gigs how did you find those gigs so a lot of them were from word of mouth um andrea and misty who they are i have uh two of people that i worked with their names are andrea and misty they're awesome ladies they own their own company and they were they oh they're by the way they're fucking badass they do a lot of fucking shit they do all the edc stuff or edc camping all the shack ar they did stuff for burning man like they're fucking killing it like they're (laughs) awesome so, and I had actually worked with them with, I'd actually worked with them previously. And even though they couldn't hire me to do those specific events that was still with the company that I got laid off with, they were hiring me for other festivals and kept giving me work. And then I would also look up whatever shows or festivals that was going on. And then I would just send in my resume wherever I could. Um, I've, followed accounts I like or in or sorry not followed accounts but I joined like different Facebook groups that did event stuff um I the people that I had met I continued to be like hey like I'm free like I'll I'll do whatever yeah just give like, me give just, me whatever yeah I, I've got I've got the I got the work ethic just more experience give me yeah exactly okay. and I I definitely like in between that time I did try to do a couple office jobs um one of them lasted two weeks I tried to go back to serving because I was a server for like four years before that. Um, or four, yeah, four, I was a server for a while bef- before I had my full-time job in the industry. And I tried to go back to that, lasted three weeks, couldn't do it. And that's when I just started just sending my resume out just constantly. Like if I heard of anything the moment that I heard something announced, I'd send in my resume. I would tell my friends, like, hey, I'm, you know, t- or tell my, like, industry friends, people that I knew that, hey, I need work, you know. Here's what I can do. Like, I, I mean, if they told me to go clean a toilet, I'd do, which I've definitely done that at a festival or two. So, you know, you just... Got to have that mindset, though. You know, you got to gotta be if you if you're wanting to make it in this industry whatever you want to do and this has been a common trend for everyone we've talked to so far on the podcast is that you got to have that mindset that I will do whatever it takes I don't care what it is but I'm I'm I've had that realization that this is it oh 100 yeah 100 percent. I agree with that yeah nice so all right so you were back you were back at um you so you you had been let go. You'd, you'd you'd done some some jobs here and there, which I think are great. That gave you more perspective, mm-hmm. actually, to, which is I think helped you in your current role, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. But but um, so you, you got asked back on with with the Lizard Lounge and 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 DDP, and and then what? You know, and it's uh, is this like present day now? Yeah. Or? So oh, it, yeah. I guess that was oh my gosh, that was. Holy crap! It's already 2020. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been about <laughs> yeah it's been almost three or f- like three going on four years. I have to I have to fact check that later, but yeah. um, that I've been with them and it, it's you know I slowly just started getting asked to take on more responsibilities, 
Um, you know, I was just doing at that time, I was just doing social media and doing the driving, doing the artist hospitality, the transportation liaison work. And then from there, I started getting asked to go work all the festivals with them. Mm. I was doing box office, uh, did a little bit of AR too. And then I, then they started giving me markets to advance. So, and, um, and for those, for those that maybe are just a casual listener, they don't, they just buy tickets, love coming to shows and we love you people keep doing it without your, your support. These shows don't happen. But for those that, that don't know, what what is advancing? What does that what does that mean? How would you define advancing? So advancing is pretty much the planning between the artists, the promoter, and the venue that you do prior to a show. So f- uh, this includes all production, hospitality, and any type of uh, movements from the artists like flights hotels uh, you know any transports to and from uh, making sure you have the making sure you have the visuals making sure you have the uh, correct gear up there making sure you know what time they go on if there's a meet and greet making sure you allot that time for the meet and greet Um, so it's it's pretty much the planning process before. I, I like to think of it as it's kind of the advancing. When I advance, I'm pretty much the middle, mer- or sorry, when I advance, I'm the middle person between the artists and the venue. So it's just coordinating all those aspects that need to be communicated before the show to make it go off successfully. Got it. Awesome. So so you're you're now... You know, you've now been with with this new this current position now for almost three plus years, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what. So, what are your current responsibilities with Substruct and with uh, DDP? On, so uh, on advancing and, and promotion. So with Substruct, I started I started working with Substruct about a year and a half ago, and with Substruct, I handle most of the day to day aspects of our artist, which. Mostly, it's a lot of admin work. It is scheduling a lot of the calls, advancing their shows. I put together uh, marketing plans for self-releases. We do we do do a lot of self-releases with the artists. Um, you know, it it varies. It could you know when you're a manager, you're kind of you kind of wear all hats. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. not like you work for an agency and the agency's just booking the shows, or right. you're working for the label and you're just focusing on promoting the music. Like as like the manager, you're making sure all of those gears are working together. Right, it's while, an umbrella. It's a big umbrella. Exactly. Yeah. You know, while also being you know a friend and emotional support to you. Yeah. Yeah, the creative process takes its toll. It, it, oh, it does. It does. And fuck, what was I talking about? Just your, just your responsibilities, oh, yeah, your current was... responsibilities. I mean, from off, off the top of my head, from what what we've talked about is you know advancing street mm-hmm. team, ticket sales. You just touched touched on day to day artist mm-hmm. and uh, and box office or like all that stuff. And so yeah, so I do I, I do day to day for that. Um, I guess another thing that I do is I um, I still work other festivals so I I 
do production um, for some of the festivals. I work, or I work on the, sorry, I, I work on the production team for various festivals. So I do a lot of like the coordinating and admin work within the festival. So like when we have vendor, we, all of our like vendors that supply audio, video, supply the still beams that are be put up. I do a lot of like the advancing with them, which is kind of similar, same to the artists, you know, making sure their hotels are booked, making sure, you know, anything from like load in and load out times. Yeah, you know, a lot of that, you know, and it, it always, and like all of these things vary from festival to festival. So, you know, you could have one, fe- you could have one festival where you have, you know, a staffing person that handles all that, or, and then another festival where you're actually booking all of that. So, oh, yeah. All of these roles, you know, vary from show to show, uh, but on those, on the stuff that I, I do the production for, I'm kind of just the right hand man to the production um, director, who is also fucking awesome. He's also my main boss with Substract, and he is the reason why I've reached the next step in my career that I'm at now. And so I just kind of make kind of make sure those ducks are aligned so whether it be you know making sure work orders are in or making you know doing any type of paperwork that needs to be turned in just kind of following up on those things and so you know having all this knowledge putting on events from from all these different perspectives and jobs you've had what's something that you've taken that, that you appreciate that maybe someone that is just going to a show wouldn't necessarily see or appreciate that you wish maybe they did? I guess the biggest thing I would say is just the appreciation for the safety efforts that are put up mm, for these events. Yeah, yeah. And that is one thing that I do wish people followed a little bit more respected more because i know and i know when i was raving before it was some of the rules that i found like oh this is stupid this is dumb why there's there's a reason why it's put into place Mm. and you're you know you're going to festivals where there's 10 20 30 40 50 000 people that's more people than most of the fucking cities here in Texas, you know, like you have, you're having a mass gathering and that can go South really fast. And there is a lot of preparation that is put into place to make sure that everyone's safe, that to make sure that everyone has a good time, that they go home safely that night. And that's, I guess one of the biggest things that, I wish that people would be more aware of. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I know people like to have fun. They like, you know, to go hard. You're, I mean, let's be honest. Festival tickets are fucking expensive. It's not just a festival, but then you got to buy the outfit. You got to plan for, you know, all the fun that you're going to have. Drinks and foods, obviously expensive there. And, you know, you do spend a lot of money, so you're letting go. It's your one-time life free. You you go all out. Right. But, you know, I wish people would be more conscious that what they take, what they do, and if they decide to do something and 
put something in their bodies that causes to put themselves in harm could also potentially put other people in harm. Right. And you can have fun. You could do all the fun you want, but be respectful. Mm. You know, don't, don't, don't go too hard where you can't like, yeah, know your limits, drink water. No, you're exactly. Know your limits. Like, don't don't leave your homies alone if they're they're having a hard time. Get them help. Don't leave, yeah. Don't leave your homies alone. And also, like, just fucking follow the rules. Like, sorry if you have to. <laughs> I'm sorry if you have to walk around one one single barricade that's going to, you know, make you two minutes late. Like, first, don't try to jump over. Like, and oh. don't try to like all the people like breaking through. I breaking through fences and like running the gates like. It's, I get it. You want to come in. Oh, this is fun. This is cool. But it's really not safe. Yeah, you're putting that. That that's a, I think a great example of of putting like ingress egress is a safety thing. Coming in and out of yeah. a festival is a huge part of just getting your permit with a city. And if you screw that up, then you not only jeopardize your safety and everyone else around you, you also jeopardize the people that spent months and mm-hmm. thousands, if not millions, of dollars of being able to do it again. Exactly. And the way that you act at a festival, it does show to the city that you're in, to the the people who actually like run that venue on a day to day basis. We are guests in their in their house. So the, and that, that I guess that's actually that is the biggest thing is I wish people would realize is that we are a guest in their house. Like while yes, like this is a festival, you paid for this ticket, you you also have to remember that we are on someone else's land. Like that's why we do try hardest to abide, you know, that's why we do abide by a lot of sound laws and, you know, people are like, Oh, this sucked. It wasn't even loud enough. Like, it's like, well, did you have fun the first six hours? (laughs) Well, cool. Do you want to come back? Let's be respectful. But I only showed up for the headliner. When you're around that many people and when you're in like a mass gathering like that, a decision that you can make could affect a whole lot or it could affect a way more people. The entire festival. The entire festival. Yeah. Okay. So you've been through this amazing journey of every, I think, I think of all people I've spoken to, like every perspective and job in the industry. So a big thing that I wanted to ask you and, 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 you know, quite selfishly get out of this interview with you was, <laughs> was to know, what are your benchmarks like top three top five this has to happen or be checked off doing an event whether that's at a venue at a club or at a festival top three top five like what are the must-haves or maybe the top three top five like red flags so red red flags sure yeah let's let's start let's start start with the bad so i mean I guess having red, it's, it's all a point of perspective, mm-hmm. you know. Which, um, which, this was this is your perspective. This is your episode, yeah. So, so I guess, I guess the biggest thing is like not, almost like not to look for red flags. If there is a red flag, how do you change it to a green flag? Mm. Is there? Ah, okay. The biggest thing is not to have any red flags. Is it's show business, baby. You got to go, with the, go flow. with the flow. Yeah, you've got to find the solution. Right, and good advancing helps make it's, sure there's no red flags. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it's 
you know, there's, and this is very vague, but when it comes to events, I mean, there's a, a few, you've got your marketing, mm-hmm. with, uh, you've got your front gate operations, I feel like, which is ticketing. Ticketing, okay. Um, you have... Would you include street team with front gate? I guess I, street team is marketing and front yeah, gate. Yeah, I, I, cl- I would include that with marketing, like having your marketing together. Um, and then I'd say like actual show running is having your box office, your front gate, your production, your artist relations, and then just your customer relation as well. Mm. Making so sure I, you're I listening like, to your audience. Exactly. I feel mm. like those making sure you're providing the right environment or making sure it's safe, uh, making sure you have the correct information out there, making sure there's a nice flow, people in and out, nice flow of a show, making sure the artists are happy, making sure, I mean, the entire like staff is happy, making sure you're working with a good team, and yeah, I guess I mean th- those are those are the big points of a show is making sure mm-hmm. you have your your talents taken care of, your ticketing's taken care of, your production's taken care of, your marketing's taken care of, but most of all, the people who are buying the tickets that they are taken care of, mm. and that they're happy, they're safe, they're in a good mood, they're having fun. Because okay. in the end, those are the people that are paying your bills, keeping the lights on in the club, yep. keeping the lights on in your house, and then keeping the lights on in the studio that your DJ is making your favorite tracks to. Hell yeah. So, I mean, that's the core to everything is to m- making sure that experience is everything that it should be and more. Nice. Okay, so help me settle a little bit. So right. I have I have an ongoing discussion with any time I'm, I'm being booked for a show mm-hmm. or if I'm... Uh, helping the artist I manage be booked for a show, mm-hmm. and I and, and I, this is a uh, free advice that you're giving out, but yeah, but my biggest pet peeve is getting hit up for a show with less than thirty days to promote. Um, I I found when I was when I had my promotion company mm-hmm. and was was booking the sweet spot was sixty to ninety days, like everything signed and dotted, but we're announcing from the day of the show. 90 to 60 days out that that gives us that bubble to be successful maybe if if the market doesn't react what do you think is that sweet spot timeline that anyone should have uh regardless of what talent they're bringing as a headliner i mean that is a great question but i i don't have an answer to that question but i don't know if there is an actual answer to that question because ideally in a perfect world uh, you know i would say at least six weeks to promote put together a plan, mm. have everyone from the headliners to your locals booked and on there to promote and ready to go. Before the, before the event's even announced. Yeah, before yeah. it's even announced. Yeah. And absolutely, that would be 100% ideal. But that rarely, if never, happens. Right, yeah. And it's, you know, and I I could see where you asked that question because you're, you're ready to, you know, get forth and to promote and... Yeah, and, and obviously that's good for the show. Yeah, you and, know, and you want it's the, a podcast. We're in a vacuum, so it's whatever. It's it's in perfect situations. Yeah, yeah, and in perfect, but those perfect situations they don't happen. I mean, they don't happen. But like, there's so 
much more planning that goes on behind the scenes that holds that up. So, I mean, when be, before a show gets announced, but before you see you get invited to that event page, what happens is you have a talent buyer from a promotion company, and a talent buyer is the person who is negotiating the deals, who's actually reaching out to the agents to confirm those dates. Now, the talent buyer has to go to the agent and figure out what which artists or what date is available to which artists. And then they have to make sure that that date aligns with whatever hold is open. Other cities they might be committed to. Well, yeah, and then, like, it's, I mean, it's got to match up perfectly. The venue Mm -hmm. has to be open. The artist has to be touring. And it also has to make sense in the route if, you know, if they are on a bus tour. And sometimes, you know, you'll go through and then all of a sudden you have an open date in your calendar and you need to fill that in two weeks ahead. Mm -hmm. And you've got to see what artist is available. And so you have, that going in on the back end. And then once the you agree, okay, so the contract is done. Now the contract contract is done. The show is booked. It's ready to announce. So now only at that time are you ready to even put the show out in front of everyone. And it depends on, like, what kind of show it is. So if, if it's a bus tour, like, typically they have, you know, the majority of the support already on there especially with dj sets most of them it's just them it's just it's a one-off deal they fly in and it's up to the venue and the local promoters and then you have depending on the agency is depending on who you book i mean you have like f- for the venue that i currently work at we have our resident dj right and he just he plays it out and we do book local some okay. can we give him a shout out yeah yo yo johnny funk Yes. Yo, Johnny Funk is an OG, OG, like the most humble dude you've ever met, too. I love Johnny. If you're listening, I love you, Johnny Funk. Dude, he's he's so fucking sick. Like he can he can open for anybody, anyone, like anybody, any genre. There is there is not one like DJ out here in Dallas that I can say that spins better, that produces better. And just works a crowd better than Johnny Funk. Yes, like, I, I, it's. I forget to know him. I mean, at first I was like, oh, I don't know. When I was just like a crowd, I was like, yeah. what? I mean, he's got a residency here. What? I don't know. And then I got to know him and, and understand how much he appreciates the history of dance music and how much he put, how much time he puts in outside of it. And and you should get to know his production. This guy is is phenomenal. I just want to give him a shout out, but all right, sorry. So I, I, no, I had to give, no, him well Johnny. deserved, yeah. well deserved. Johnny Funk, Johnny Funk, I love you. I'll give you a hug on, on the 21st when I'm there and playing. <laughs> that is awesome. But yeah, so, and then you, I mean, you have like, let's say you book an artist. You have some artist agencies or managers who want to approve the local first or they whoever else. Everything. Everything. Oh, exactly. So yep. the, there's a lot of different aspects that can work against you or work with you to put everything together. And that's, I guess, one thing that makes it hard to put a perfect picture together. Right. 
you do have some tours that confirm they're like hey before we announce i i want i need two locals or i need we want to add additional support or they'll be up front with it they'll be like hey we're going to announce now but we want to add support later and then they work internally like with the promotion company or with the venue to get that booked in a timely manner so it's all it all just like depends and so many factors that go into making that that perfect scenario so the answer is i lost the bet okay cool honestly i think you're onto something more than anything because (laughs) you're like all right this is the formula that brings the results so let's put this formula in place right you know, so hold hold on to that. Then, like, wait for your your artist. Not when okay. when you announce, you know, your big tour, or maybe it's an artist that you're managing that you put this into place, and that, you know, you make things happen that way. Because honestly, that is completely ideal. But you're you're working with so many different people, and there's it's a lot of variables. Yeah. My perspective is, I want to make sure that the artist that I'm vouching for and going to bat for and and representing is going to get a crowd. Right, and if especially if it's a new market, I want to give them as much time as possible to to build up that maybe they don't know who this person is, but it's the only night that's playing this kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. All right, well, I appreciate you sharing those different factors because maybe our listeners don't understand that, and yeah, certainly absolutely. I missed on a couple of those as well. So it's not necessarily right or wrong because it's a very like gray area. Yes. But these are just this podcast is just meant for perspectives. There is no right or wrong way to do it. It's all perspective. Exactly. There's always gonna there's always gonna be a new way of thinking of doing things and a new way of just ex- executing ideas and but it's that change and it's that it are it's those new ideas that create the art that continue to push forward the industry. That I mean, if you fucking think about it, I mean, dude. Chance, like, look at Chance the Rapper. Yeah. The first artist to win a Grammy off of streams. Like, that's still just a completely new thing to us, you know? Yeah. And it's that new way of thinking, wait, what? Free music that you can get anywhere? Wait, like, I mean, it, it's it's those, like, breaking the mold and, like... Music heals people, and there's there's a big school of thought that music should be free. And, yeah. and, and there's something to that, yeah. Shout out Chance the Rapper. For real, for real. So, so one thing that you wanted to make sure that you communicated was professionalism and being organized, regardless of what side of the, the stage you're on, being professional. But being organized, I think, is a big one. And um, one, one thing that I, I love about working with you is that when you send me a contract, you know I'm going to read all of it and send you back mm-hmm. amendments. And then you're going to be like, hey, Shri, shut the hell up. We're <laughs> not doing that. But but not everyone does that, and I and I think that there's something to be said about if you're representing someone or representing a brand or, or taking this seriously. The details are important. The timing is important. Mm-hmm. Response time, all of that. So um, this was something that that you wanted to um, discuss more. Maybe we talked about it already. We touched on it already. But um, that's just my example of working with you, which I love because not everyone does that. Oh, thank you. In this industry, I mean, we're passionate about it. Obviously, yeah. I mean, we're not in it for the money because, uh, you know, that's if, not coming for a long time, if, <laughs> if, if ever. Exactly. So it's and it's really hard, like when your passion is also your professional career, it's really hard to separate emotions with being professional 
And that is actually one of the biggest struggles that I face and I still face today is no, like, it's just balancing that fine line of like, hey, I need to get the work done. I need to do A, B, and C. And even if I may not feel a certain way because I'm so passionate about the way, about a certain way that it's done, you've got to be able to separate your emotions from your professional decision making end goal end goal from your yeah exactly from from your end goal because it's so easy when you feel so strongly about something to be like hey this is the right way this is the only way and this is the way i know but you have to you have to realize that that way that you think is your only perception you're only seeing a a part of what the entire picture was. Okay, so before you came on today, I did put on social media that you were coming on and asked them what I should ask you. Okay. So we got we got some answers on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, um, we'll, we'll plug all those handles at the end. But um, our first one is from a at Mike Zemer. And his, I don't know. This is, I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, I don't know who this guy is. Sounds kind of cute though. Oh, snap, bro. Shoot your shot. He's got an emoji cowboy hat currently. I don't don't know if it'll still be there when this comes out, but he asks, ask her why she's so amazing and beautiful and how she manages to hustle so hard. (laughs) Party blowing emoji, head, head blowing emoji. Wow. And you know, I, think I can I achieve those things because I have a wonderful man in my life who supports me and who allows me to hustle as hard as I want to fucking hustle and reminds me that I can keep hustling and to get out of bed and to you know just be me hell yeah excellent question Mike thank you for that the next question is from Facebook from Clay I don't want to mispronounce his last name, but he's he's uh, he's awesome. Uh, he asks, "Can I get some VIP passes?" Hey, absolutely! I am still allowing people on my ticket team, so if you want to sell tickets for UBW, I will absolutely give you some VIP passes if you meet the requirements. All right. His second of four questions is, "Can you get Donnie my mixtape?" I I could pass it through the right channels. Um, you know, I could definitely email it over, but whether he may actually, you know, get it and listen to it. Clay, that's a soft <laughs> no. That's a, that's what we call a soft Just kidding. no. Actually, Clay, for you, Clay's great. I will, I will hand him your mixtape personally. <laughs> um. All right. Solid. Uh, his fourth and last question is: Have you ever had to cut a bitch? Can I say it on podcast? Or I mean, do I? I'm just kidding. Um, I won't say anything incriminating, but so the answer is no. You do what you got to do sometimes. All right, solid. All right, we'll move on to our last. <laughs> no, I'm I won't not about say that. anything incriminating. I, I, I'm not yeah. scrappy anymore. I used to be scrappy. Once but upon a time, 
I, I'm I'm too wide. I'll sue you before like okay, I get scrappy. Solid. Like you, just you, kidding. You you get a cease and desist from some guy that looks like Seth Rogen. Exactly. <laughs> All right. J.K. I'm sending Seth Rogen himself. Yep. All right, so our final question comes from Chris Rodriguez, or questions. He's got a trio of questions. Um, his first question is, what kind of obstacles do you face in the industry that people maybe don't talk about? Some of the obstacles that I guess I, that you face with being in the industry that people don't talk about, honestly, the biggest thing is – is the balance between work life and your regular life because with the entertainment industry it's usually your passion and those two lines are are constantly i mean they're constantly going in and out you know they are when what you do for fun happens to also be what you do for work it's a it's hard to separate those and you have that's one of the biggest obstacles. And one of the obstacles that I'm working on now is finding that balance and making that clear separation because it's easy for your your work life to something that could happen and all just come in and completely alter how you live on a daily basis. And right. some of those things that you take home from work should not be taken home from work. Right. And honestly, I, that could be said with anyone, any industry, in, any yeah. industry. Yeah. And I guess that that's the biggest obstacle. And especially for, I mean, me right now is, you know, being in a relationship and, you know, we just bought a house and, you know, we're at that age where, you know, we're planning on getting engaged and we're planning on starting a family. And when you, when you're working in the entertainment industry, that's constantly going, it's like, well, where's that line? Where, where does that fit in? Like it does fit in, like this is going to happen, but like, how do I separate that and give that just as much attention as I am giving my work? Mm. Because that deserves it, you know? I mean, it's th- that is the hardest part, and especially when you are doing, fr- especially when you are doing freelance, and a lot of people in music are freelancers. You're working out of your your home. You're doing podcasts out of your home. Yeah, you know? out of your living room with, of, your, with your with your dog. Yeah, but right before your Valentine's date with all your flats. You yeah, yep, all like, the wings. It's, it's it's hard to separate that, but. It is oh, sorry. Yeah, it's it's hard to separate that, and that's an obstacle that you do have to overcome. And it, it's just funny because, or and it's not funny, but it's kind of ironic how people who work nine to fives they wish they could work from home. Mm. You know, they wish they could yeah, they could have that, but it's grass is already always greener on the other side, lining. right? Yeah, silver lining, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it, it's you know you've got to make that separation. Yeah, absolutely, and. Even though your work is your passion, doesn't mean that it needs to come home with you every night. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it's better just just let it process. Take take a sleep on it. Put your phone down. Yep. Put put the thing. You know, I'm get, I'm learning that one. Put the phone in the other room. Stop. Just get, put. It'll still be there when you're. You know. You know, like when you need to pick it up. When you wake up, don't let the first thing that you check be your phone. Mm. Let the first thing you do is roll over to that person you love and say good morning. And it's just, it's that little 
little thing that is an obstacle and that you have to realize like and it's 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 a simple like five second thing yeah you know and and that's something that i've overcome recently is not waking up being like in a panic because when you're working in the music industry you're working with people all across the world so you don't know what time zone that you are it doesn't matter where you live you're waking up to an email from someone from somewhere i need the advance where is that advance yeah why haven't you confirmed this exactly we have three holds (laughs) everyone's waiting exactly someone's offering 10 grand more Mm -hmm. shut up you're lying everyone's always waiting for something but if you don't put yourself first and your life first and your and your like mental health first then you're not going to be able to do your job well mm. what is your biggest success and your biggest failure that you would say have uh, given you the, the biggest learning experience from both sides well one of each so I would say my biggest success, which is something that has recently happened, is that I'm finally able to work in music full time and not live paycheck to paycheck. That's huge. Congratulations. That's that is that, Thank that you. is huge. Yeah, huge, I've, huge, huge. I've I've been trying I I didn't even realize it was happening until I actually did my bills last month and I was like, Whoa, I'm actually on a consistent basis slowly increasing my savings and able to pay my bills without freaking out where my next gig is going to be and that is you know and and here's the thing is like I'm not going to take that for granted because next month that could all completely change you know but for right now that is my biggest success and I'm um, very stoked on that my biggest failure. I think you touched on it a little bit. That that first realization where someone sat you down and was like, "Hey, this isn't this is not a party," and that's a big one. I think that even people right now in the industry sometimes haven't even had. But um, sorry, yeah. sorry to interject. But no, uh, I know, and absolutely, you know. And here's the thing: is like I don't see that as that being my biggest failure because that was such a learning experience. When I make mistakes, I I can't. I can't actually consider them failures because I learned something from them and I've grown from them. My biggest failure and it's something that I'm still failing at right now, which I'm working on, but it, it kind of goes back into that balance of life is I've, my biggest failure is neglecting some of my home life and some of my family life for what is, or some of my family life for my work life and for working in this industry like okay and this hits kind of hard at home but recently my grandfather so let me rewind um when I worked friendship this past year actually this was my the biggest role I'd ever gotten it was the first time I was ever asked to be the production coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was asked, I was like, wait, me? I thought I, only. I a- remember when you posted about it, I was like, hell yeah, they're going to have someone dope on staff. That's going to be sick. I was like, what? I was like, I, only, I thought only adults did this. I was like, what do you mean I'm not going to be assistant at a festival? Like, it was one of the biggest, it, to this day, I mean, it just happened. Still, I'm like mind blown. The biggest 
gig that I had. And I did work it last year, but I didn't have as much responsibilities. Right. And and for those that don't know, Friendship is a festival on a cruise ship. It's a, it's yeah. a festival with multiple stages on a cruise ship. So right before, and this was right about Christmas time, right before it was starting, um, my grandpa fell ill and he wasn't doing well. He caught pneumonia and his organs started failing. And at the time, I didn't realize how bad it was. Um, my dad was like, hey, you should come and see your grandpa. Like, he has pneumonia. He's not feeling well. And I was like, no, dad. Like, I'm about to get on the ship. I can't fuck this up. Like, this is the – I've got to make Kelly proud. Like, it's my boss who fucking – Shout out Kelly. He is one of the reasons why I'm here today, like doing what I am, why, whatever. Shout out Kelly. And so my dad was asking me to come see my grandpa. And I was like, hey, like, I'm just, I'm too busy right now. I've got this big gig coming up. I just don't have time. And now keep in mind, my grandpa had been asking me for a few years now. When are you going to come see me? Oh, yeah, Papa, I'm going to come see you. After this festival, I'm going to come see you. After this, I'm going to come see you. But guess what? There's always something happening. There's, there's, always, there's, there's always another show. Exactly. There's always another show. There's always another festival. There's always another hand to shake. Always something. Yeah. And I was putting it off. And right before I got on the – or it was the week that I was about to get on the boat, and I knew things weren't going well. Um, I know my dad was downplaying it and I think a part of it was he was downplaying it because he didn't want to really come with terms. But also my dad is very like, he won't freak out and, you know, he, he keeps it very level headed mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for him for passing some of that down to me. And it was getting bad. And at, at the time I didn't want to really think about it because you know my mind was just focused on making sure that this event with went well making sure that I made my boss proud because he went on you know trusted me with it had to get the job done and my dad was like hey you know before I it was the day before we were about to leave and I was on the phone with him, and he was like, hey, he's like, I just want to let you know, Papa knows you love him. If anything happens when you're gone, we will make sure that no arrangements happen until you get back. Wow. So I was like, okay. I was prepared. I gave him, like, the number to where they can reach people on the ship. Yeah. And I was like, all right, if something happens – you can call here. And when I got back, when I had cell service again, and I now, in the meantime, like, I was also waiting for an email to come to say, like, hey, it's not doing well. And I'm... You're, you're monitoring. Right. And so yeah. I'm monitoring, and I'm... And so finally, get, we get back to port, and we get cell service, and I'm waiting for some kind of update. So my dad didn't call. He didn't send an email. So I'm like, okay, cool. He didn't pass away. He's okay. He's still fighting. And when I land, I 
or when we port, I get a notification from my dad. They come in like, hey, he's doing fine. He's coming back up. Oh, my God. He's doing well. I mean, you had to, I mean, at the edge of my seat for like five, like, oh, my God. Okay. So, and he's doing well. And I flew back home, and I flew back home that day, and he – or I flew back home that day and my dad was like, I'm go." my dad told me, he, he was like, yeah, he's making a comeback. He's like, Anna Marie, like, I did not know if he was going to make it, but he's, he's turning around and he's fighting and he's there. And even though I kind of knew in the back of my head, I didn't realize how bad it, I didn't really realize how bad it was. And then when my dad said that, like, hey, he was, he came out of the ICU. Like, he was in the ICU while I was on the ship. I didn't know he was actually in the intensive care, but he was almost gone. And my dad was like, yeah, I'm actually going this weekend. You should – he's like, I'm going this weekend to go see him, but in the next three weeks, you really need to plan to come see him. And I was like, hey, Dad, I'm going to come this weekend. I'm coming right now. I, I'm, I'm coming. Wow. Like, where are you going – where do I need to buy my plane ticket to? Are we driving? How are we doing it? And uh, he was like, yeah. He was like, well, do you want to see if you're like, let's see if the brothers want to go. And uh, Nathan came. And then uh, we even my other brother, Dylan, who we hadn't seen in a whole year, ended up coming up and we went down to see my we went down to see my papa and he was fine and he was alive. And it just when I after I left and when we were riding home and it was the first time we had gone on to a road trip, all of us in seven years. And I didn't even realize that. I was like, whoa, it's really been that long. Like it's really been seven years since we've done this together as a family. And I remember being in the backseat and I just broke down and I just started sobbing because I was like damn like I was telling like my papa for years that hey I'm gonna come see you I'm gonna come do it and I never did because of the next festival of the next show and if he would have passed away I would have never forgiven myself Hmm. for not taking the time to go see him and I think that that is what I consider my biggest failure is not is not giving enough focus to my family life while I'm trying to achieve my goals. Because guess what? The only reason why I've achieved my goals is because I have a strong core also backing me up. Right. I mean, I mean, if you go back to your origin, your brother got you in. Exactly. Yeah. My brother got me like, if it, if it wasn't for the support system, the people who raised me, the people who made like, and, and that's, that was the hardest. Like, I think that was my biggest failure is I got lucky because I was able to see him and now I am able to make that time. But I, that was something that I failed on being mm-hmm. so focused on just my career when I should have given time for the things that really do like truly matter. And that's your family. Yeah. Because your career is going to constantly change and you can be within the same industry. You can do the same things. But, I mean, if you don't – if you lose sight of the things that 
really matter, then you can't be the best version of yourself. Yeah. And and sometimes it it takes being put in those situations to get that perspective. Um, you know, um, well, I think that's, that's a, that's a deeper layer. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. Shout out Chris Rodriguez. I don't think you expected to get yeah. such a deep answer, bro, but, uh, <laughs> but there it is. And you don't have to put that part in the podcast. No, I at think all. I think that's hey, you. Hey, sorry, I feel like it's gonna be so no, long. About no, no, uh, it's fine. It's there's there's no time limit. I'm not. I don't have set expectations on on how long I want my pod. It's it's about sharing what you have, and that's I think that's super important. Yeah. And people do need to hear that because there was a point in my career where I was also just like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to see so and so. I don't care. And then it was like six months, and I hadn't seen my own like mom or something. And like you know, I mean, and then you go see them, and you're like, oh man. This feels good. Like, why? Why would? Why was I avoiding this? Like, this is so. It feels good. But no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. That's and that's super personal. So, so thank you. But I mean, it's it's always a double edged sword when it comes it to that, is. right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, you've got to work your hardest. You've got to be always available. You've got to all be always there. Right. But you've also got to make that time. You gotta find. You gotta find. It's that balance. That balance. It's that balance. And th- that balance is different for everyone. It is each individual has their different balance. The same weights that are going to balance out my life aren't going to be the same weights that balance out the person next to me. Right. So. Well, I am so thankful that you came on and shared your experience and dropped some knowledge. Uh, I'll say it again. Thank you again for giving me giving me my first club show. I would not be here if it wasn't for you. So, so thank you again for taking a chance on me. If you have questions about the music industry that you'd like answered or the creative process, or if you are someone that would like to come on the show or you know someone or an artist that you'd like to suggest that should be on the show, please tweet at me on Twitter at Shremix. That's S-H-R-E-E-M-I-X. We'll be back with our next episode soon. Thank you again, Anna Marie. AMC, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.